0: Chapter commencing at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people, Israel and Judah, back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave to their forefathers to possess, says the Lord. These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man? with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labour. Every face turned deathly pale. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bonds no longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So do not fear, O Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security. And no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only with justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. This is what the Lord says Your wound is incurable your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. I have struck you as an enemy would would, and punished you as would the cruel because your guilt is so great and your sins so many Why do you cry over your wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins, I have done these things to you. But all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. But I will restore you to health. And heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast, Zion for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins, and the palace will start, will stand in its proper place. From then, from them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing i will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased i will bring them honor and they will not be disdained their children <coughs> excuse me their children will be as the days of old and their community will be established before me i will punish all who oppress them their leader will be one of their own their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near, and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to me close to, to be close to me? declares the Lord. To you will be my so you will be my people, and I will be your God. See the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Stephen, thank you. Uh, I gave you a long passage. Actually, we're looking at that passage over the next two weeks, so we'll be back in Jeremiah 30 next week. We're going to focus mainly on that 1 to 17 this week and then 18 onwards next week, but I wanted just to hear it all and I will make a little reference to later on. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your words and then mould our... Uh, minds and melt our hearts and bend our wills that we might live in humble obedience to all that we read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Doctor, I have some good news and bad news. Patience. Okay, well, uh, give me the good news first. Doctor, you have 24 hours to live. Patience. How's that good news? What's the bad news then? Doctor, I've been trying to call you since yesterday. Jeremiah is a good news, bad news prophet. And actually, he has got quite a bit of the tone of that little joke that I've just told you. You see, when you read this prophecy, actually, it is the bad news that dominates. It's been the subject of 29 chapters up to this point, and will be the subject of most of another 20 chapters still to come. And the bad news is simply this, that God's people, Israel and Judah, are in dire straits. Indeed, for Israel, it's already happened, it happened many years ago, that they were uh, invaded and taken off in large parts by the Assyrians. But now, in the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem, where uh, Jeremiah is speaking, the Babylonians are at the door. And the place where the focus of God living with his people was, Jerusalem is about to be overrun and destroyed. God's people are about to lose this land, that God had given to them. No longer will God's people live in the lands, and no longer will they enjoy the blessings that he longed to pour out upon them whilst they live there. What should have been a place of security and peace, now verse 5, we're told, will become a place of terror. But why this horrendous situation? Well, put simply, and if you were to read at the book of Jeremiah, and if you know your Old Testament, this, none of this will surprise you. Because simply they refused to remain faithful to their gods. You see, God's plan for humanity has always been the same and it is summed up in that phrase we find later on in the chapter. You will be my people and I will be your gods. That sums up God's plan for the whole of humanity. It was there in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it, when God created Adam and Eve and we're told that he used to walk with them. They were probably taught together, a wonderful relationship. God devoted to his people, and his people devoted to him. That is the way God has always planned this world and humanity to be. But time and again, often under evil leadership, the people of God turn to other gods repeatedly, refusing to live faithfully. And so judgment now was coming. And Jeremiah's job is to announce that bad news of this awful day that you find in verse 7 that is literally round the corner. It is about to happen. And as he says at the end, in days to come, you're going to understand this, you're about to see it unfold before your very eyes. And it seems there is absolutely nothing they can do about it. Chapter after chapter, the worst, most terrifying dark news is delivered by Jeremiah. Except that in verse 7b, there is a shaft of light that pierces this overwhelming pain and darkness. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. He will be saved out of it. It's hard for us to appreciate, isn't it, the joy of those few words, because we haven't spent the previous 29 chapters. Imagine that. We've spent the last 29 weeks doing Jeremiah 1 to 29. By this point, you would be desperate for some good news. But you haven't. You've not had to endure that journey that they have endured, that message. So we don't feel the pain and the bleakness that they would have. But suddenly, in this mist of darkness, the shaft of light, a little bit like a diamond set across a back cloth, there is good news, good news. There is hope. God will not abandon his people forever. He will keep his promises, those covenant promises that he made. And he will one day reestablish relationship with his people. You will be my people, and I will be your gods. And there are two parts to this hope. There are two pillars of this good news. Firstly, this God will rescue, God will save his people. If you look in sort of verses 8 onwards, you'll see there a, a, a kind of description of what it must would be like for them when they get taken off into captivity. They will be foreigners in an enemy land, they will be like slaves. It'll be a place we're told of fear. They will be scared, they will be insecure, there will be no peace for them in that land. But, says God, I will rescue you. I will bring you back. I will rescue you out of that land, that foreign land, and I will bring you back to the land that I have given you. Verse 10, I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants From the land of their exile. It won't be yet. Do you remember? He doesn't say you're going to come back. Your descendants will come back. It's not yet. But I will keep this promise. One day I will defeat your enemies. One day I will reestablish my kingdom. A place of love and peace and security is a wonderful image of salvation. But secondly, we're told that God will heal his people. You see, it's not just enough for them to come back to the land. Because what will happen if they just come back to the land? They'll just go back to the old ways, won't they? History will just simply repeat itself. It's repeated itself for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, because there is a deeper problem going on here than simply enemies outside. What is the problem? There is a sickness on the inside. Look at verse 12. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. At the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's what God is saying to his people. Do you realize the problem is deep within? You are sick as a nation and you are sick as people and it is terminal. There is simply nothing that anyone can do. In fact, there's no one around who even cares, but worse than that, there is no one humanly who could do anything about this situation you're in. It is a hopeless, terminal illness. And why, why are they sick? Verse 14, we're told, because your guilt is so great and your sins are so many. Verse 15, because of your great guilt and your many sins, I have done these things to you. See, the problem is not out there. The problem is not the Assyrians. The problem is not the Babylonians. It is too easy, isn't it, to point the finger elsewhere. I've used this story so many times, you better tell it me back. But the great story of G.K. Chesterton when uh, writing to The Telegraph because they'd run an article in The Telegraph asking what was wrong with the world and he simply wrote to the editor and said, Dear Sir, you ask what is wrong with the world. I am. What is wrong with this world? It is the human hearts. It is our sin, our guilt, our refusal to live faithfully in relationship with the God who made us. And it is, an inter- it is a terminal, incurable problem. But. What is the best three-letter word in the whole Bible? I know you're going to say God. But I think it's but. But. Look at verse 17. But verse 17. I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. I can heal that deep terminal sickness. I know there are some medics here. I bet some of you have had to deliver terrible news to people and say that you are very ill and there is simply nothing we can do. What a hopeless, horrible thing to have to say to somebody. But here is the one who can say, It is a hopeless situation, but I can heal you, I can put you right. I can sort it out. I can make you healthy again. And what I love about this passage is, as you get towards the end, I know I'm jumping over a bit, so I'm going to look at next week, is that, that this is God's plan. And I love that at the end there he says, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back. It's going to happen until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. It is the purposes of God's heart to rescue and to heal his people. That is what the whole of human history has been about. The question is, how is he going to do it? And the clues come for us already. Look in verse 9. He says, Instead, they will serve, talking about when they come back, instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. What a curious thing to say. David's long dead. And then verse 21. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near, and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. See, God is going to raise up a ruler. He's going to raise up a king like David's. You see, up to now, the problem is that all the leaders have, generally speaking, been part of the problem. You get the odd good king when uh, Jeremiah appears very young there was a young king called Josiah, and Josiah was a bit of a a star king. He kind of tried to bring the people back to God, but soon after Josiah died, well, uh, Jeremiah had to prophesy during the reigns of another four kings who led the people of God completely opposite direction, Manasseh and others. You see, just sticking a king in place won't solve the problem. Now, this is a different king. You see it's the problem the world faces around isn't it that we live in a sick world and, and the problem is any government whatever it's trying to do is only ever to put us able to put a sticking plaster on this world. You see it might deal with a conflict over here but another three suddenly appear over here. And the story of human history has been we have never as governments been able to sort it out. Because we can't, no human ruler can fix the problem of the human heart. No human ruler can sort out the mess this world is in. It takes a king that God is going to send. A king we're told who will come from within the Jewish people. A king who is close to God, who will devote himself to God. And through that devotion will restore the people to their relationship with God. And once again... Verse 22, they will be my people and I will be their gods. Who's the king? <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? See, the reality is that for hundreds of years, people are looking and these people are trying to work out, who's this king that's going to restore us? Who's the king that's going to bring this peace and security and deal with the problem of the human hearts? And none seem to come until one day. A man walks on to the uh, uh, stage of human history and says, the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has anointed me, and I'm going to come and preach good news. Healing and uh, captivity, uh, people being set free from captivity, it is me. I am the fulfillment of all that you read here. You see, Jesus is the one who rescues people from the power of sin. However hard we try, none of us can love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. The Bible says we are slaves to sin. That is, whatever we try and do, in the end we will always end up doing that which pulls us away from God rather than towards God on our own. We are slaves. We're also in the grip of Satan and and though we don't see it, uh, this world is in the grip of Satan. The Bible speaks of him being the prince of this world. And supremely, we're in the grip of death. It is the great enemy that none of us can overcome. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That separation from God for eternity, which is the punishment that God has for all of us. But on the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus brings release. rescue. He saves us out of the grip of our enemies. On the cross, the power of sin is crushed as he pays the price for our sin with his own life and sets us free from the penalty of sin that we no longer have to face because he faced it on our behalf. Satan, all his powers of evil are disarmed on the cross as Jesus cries out, it is finished. And in the resurrection... He once and for all removes the sting of death for those who will trust him. No longer is death something to be feared for those who trust in the Lord Jesus. And Jesus heals. Jesus doesn't just deal with our outside enemies. We're told he heals the hearts of a human problem, the human hearts. Luke 5 tells us, Jesus tells us that I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor who's come to heal the sick. I've not come for those who are well, I've come for those who know they're sick. And I've come to bring healing. You see, Jesus' diagnosis of the human problem is that the real problem is not outside, it's inside. He says it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out of his heart. It's what comes from within. That's why Jesus uh, baptizes with water and the Holy Spirit. You see, if you baptize just with water like John, he can deal with the past. He can wash away the guilt and the sin, but he cannot change us for the future. But he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. He gives his Holy Spirit. Who can begin to transform our hearts that we might live once again faithfully in relationship with God? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is God. The new has come. What's all this got to do with the vision of this church, you might ask? Well, I want to suggest to you it has everything to do with it. Because if we believe this is true, this is also the story of the world that we live in today. But actually, when Jeremiah was speaking, he wasn't just speaking to Judah and Israel. He was speaking to all the other nations as well. God was going to bring judgment on those. And the truth of the New Testament is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. All of us share in the problem of the people of God of the Old Testament. Every single one, Jew, Gentile, male, female five-year-old, 105 year five-year-olds. It doesn't matter who we are, what our background, what our religion, all of us are in that same position. And just like Judah, and just like in the time of Jeremiah, God still sends people out like Jeremiah to say, we're in a mess, but there is a solution. We are in dire straits, but there is hope there is good news. Judgment is coming on all humanity. When Jesus returns a second time, it will then be too late. And it wasn't quite too late, although Jeremiah knew things were going to probably not turn around. But Jeremiah and the other prophets came to speak to the world and say, please turn back. Please turn back to your king. Please turn back. And, you know, it was a very costly thing for Jeremiah to speak up, to offer that good news of rescue and healing. Jeremiah was very young. When he got called, he said to God, no, please, I'm too young, and it's not going to go well for me. And it didn't. His family rejected him. Three times, people tried to kill him all the prophets and uh, holy people of the time turned against him and said he was a blasphemer and they all said this is a load of rubbish and they preached peace and security things are fine stop worrying don't listen to that bloke and he had to live that message and experience that pain it was deeply costly and here's the rub what is the, what is the uh, task that God has given to his church in our day? It is to go and be Jeremiah's, isn't it? It is to go and speak to our world, not to condemn it, but to warn it and to offer it the most extraordinary good news. Do you remember these words of uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is why God has put this church in this village at this time. That we might, as Christ's ambassadors, make an appeal as if God was doing it himself. And to implore people, that is to beg them, please... Please come back to God's, My friends, that is the mission that God has always given us. But I want to suggest to you it's got to sit at the heart of our vision of this year. You see, uh, next week we're going to look at uh, four things that I think are going to be the pillars of our vision. The four key things we're going to focus on this year. But I want to tell you what the first one is now. And it's there in Verse uh, 19. You see, I think God makes various promises about what this new kingdom, this salvation life is going to be like. And the one thing he says is, verse 19, I will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased. Now, you've got to be careful. I don't want to misappropriate that uh, promise. But it is a general promise that when God restores his people, he's going to keep adding to their number. You see, that is God's purpose. God's purpose is that his kingdom will be a growing kingdom. Therefore, it pains his heart that at the moment in the Church of England, the number of people coming to Christ is going down, 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 down. Although a friend of mine is on the radio this morning speaking of what God is doing about turning that around, even, dare I say, in the Church of England. With a church planting bishop, Rick Thorpe, who was appointed to do just that. That's the only thing he has to do is plant churches. He's been given the role of planting 100 churches in London Diocese in the next five years as a bishop. God is at work. And I believe that God is calling us to numerical growth, not just those who already know Jesus joining us, that's lovely, but to see those who don't yet know Jesus come and join us because I believe that he's already put in place a number of the grounds things that we're gonna, we've, we, we need to work on, the foundations, so and we're going to look at those next week. Our buildings, our services, all of that. But I just want to encourage you. I was so encouraged to hear Rick doing that on the radio this morning, and last two Tuesdays ago, I sat down with someone after a year of being in this church and asking questions, going on Christianity Explored and really just thinking we're getting nowhere, suddenly said to me, Adrian, I get it. And I read to him from Acts 2 what you were to do once you've heard the good news and you want to respond, to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, Adrian, that's what I want to do. And so he prayed and at that moment a week ago. Then on the next Wednesday, an 80, so this is someone in their 50s and 85-year-old who comes to my midweek communion over at Gatchel's. said to me, Adrian, at the end of it, I'm worried about my spiritual growth. Please, can I see you? I went and saw her on Tuesday this week. And uh, so on Tuesday? No, Thursday this week. She said, Adrian, actually, the reality is I don't know if I'm a Christian. She talked to me about uh, her kind of uh, spiritual life, of where she'd been, and brought up in a Catholic home and all sorts of things. So again, I took her to the same passage, said, that's what I want to do. And we prayed. And actually, at PCC, after PCC, one of the mums from family here in church came and said, you know what, our young daughter has said she wants to follow Christ. Three stories. That's more than I have probably had in the last three years. I just sense that God is at work. And therefore I want to encourage you that the heart of our vision must be a vision for growth. And that starts with an expectation and a trust and a willingness to think God will add to our numbers and we will not decrease. Are you going to come back next week for more? As we talk about what that's going to look like? Great. Amen.